No more waiting. This is the time to protect your home with security because Myths and Legends listeners can get 40% off Simply Safe's award-winning home security system. Not only was Simply Safe named the best home security of 2022 by US News and World Report, we use and trust Simply Safe to protect our own home and family. Because at Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. Don't miss this chance to save big when you protect your home with the best. Get 40% off your order when you visit simplysafe.com slash legends today. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes. That's simplysafe.com slash legends. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This week on Myths and Legends, it's the story of Dietrich of Bern, how he learned to stop worrying and love the dwarves, and how, if you find a magical sword, you should read the manual. Also, that gardener dwarf is the toughest of dwarfs. Do not mess with him. The creature this time is an irresistible forest dweller who wants to dance all night and also to death. This is Myths and Legends, episode 292, Dwarf Fortress. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's story comes kind of from Scandinavia, kind of from Germanic folklore. As if the origins weren't murky enough, Bern is actually another name for Verona in Italy. The original comes from a saga, but the more fun, high fantasy version comes from a collection of Germanic tales so the story as we tell it is somewhere in between. It's a story with magic swords, giants, dwarves, and even a Volsung. We'll jump right in with the king who gets some awesome news. News that, yeah, is burning down his city. Yeah, so this is a good news, bad news situation. The noble said to King Dietmar, Well, a dozen servants, and really everyone, ran buckets of water to the longhouse that was quickly going up in flames. The bad news is, of course, that our city, Bern, is burning. And that should not be minimized because these are the Middle Ages and fires are so dangerous. So yes, bad news. We'll put it out, or it'll stop when it runs out of stuff to burn, the noble said. Then he lit up, and not in the way that the city was lighting up. Good news, though, was that the fire was started by Dietmar's son, Dietrich. And not in the normal way that a kid might start fires. This one started from Dietrich's lips. When he got so angry that another kid took his toy, that fire shot from them. The noble's grin only grew. The king knew what this meant, right? He had a hero kid here. Also probably should work on some anger management stuff because fire shooting from the lips of a five-year-old, really dangerous. The king, Dietmar, was giddy, though. Oh my gosh, his son had magical hero powers? And the fire shooting from Dietrich's lip, that wasn't metaphorical. Like, it wasn't showing that his wrath was so great that nothing could stand in his way or something. The longhouse behind them collapsed as the fire spread to the granary. Uh, nope, nope, it is real fire the noble said. Fantastic. The king ordered a table brought to them. This changed everything. He was going to have his son take over for him, of course, and learn to fight, lead, and all that. But now that the kid was the stuff of legends, they needed to bring in a legend. 
the noble said he knew just the guy. Hildebrand, the king said, as the granary collapsed. Son of Herbrand, the noble smiled. He's a Volsung. In Germanic and Scandinavian legend, that is as big a deal as they get. Volsung, the king was puzzled. He thought they all died, like way back in episodes 3A through 3E. Not all of them, apparently. He's like a, a, a cousin. Not mentioned in the main legend, but the real deal. All the strength, none of the curse. King Dietmar shrugged. A Volsung is a Volsung. How soon can the man get here? Every hero kid is different, of course. But we Volsungs have something of a curriculum. It starts out with bread baking, where we put venomous snakes in the flour to get the kids to knead them to death and bake. Then we bite the tongues from live wolves and we round it out with some banditry in the woods dressed like bears. The king smiled. Wow, that was an impressive program. And it was. We're not sure exactly what the training was, but the five-year-old Dietrich excelled. Further, it was more than just a job for Hildebrand. He grew to care for the boy like a younger brother. A younger brother that you put in deadly situations to prove their worth. So, basically, yeah, Hildebrand was a Volsung. Dangerous situations like hunting giants. Village after village went dark on the edge of Dietmar's kingdom. A few scattered villages escaped here and there to tell the king about it, but by the time Dietmar managed to drum up enough knights to go investigate, the only thing left of the homes were blood and splinters. The giants carried off livestock to care for and people to eat, but the king had no idea where they were going to attack next. Finally, he relented and sent his now 12-year-old son, Dietrich, and the 20-something Hildebrand. The pair journeyed into the Northlands to find the giants and, oh, dwarf, dwarf, Hildebrand shouted, pointing ahead of him in the, quote, darksome forest. The dwarf in the road ahead felt the top of his hatless head, swore, and took off in a run. But all this happened as Dietrich was spurring his horse onto a gallop toward the mythological creature. Dietrich leapt from his horse in a full-on tackle and soon had the dwarf pinned on the road. Hildebrand rode up to his ward sitting on top of the dwarf, telling the creature to stop hitting himself, stop hitting himself. The dwarf smacked the hands away. Tell us where the giants are, dwarf. Hildebrand lowered his sword. The dwarf said, wait, that's, that was what they wanted? Yeah, sure. You will tell us, dwarf, or you will die, Dietrich said, and bounced a little on the dwarf's chest. The dwarf said, were they listening to him? He would tell them where the giants were. He was a dwarf. He hated giants even more than the humans, especially since he apparently lost his cap that makes him invisible in the bushes back there. He's being obstinate, trying to talk circles around us, Hildebrand said. Submit, dwarf. He pressed the sword to the dwarf's cheek, drawing blood. The dwarf rolled his eyes. Uh, all right, this is how it was going to go, huh? Curses! You have bested me, humans! I will show you that which you seek, but only because I do not hold my life as forfeit. Hildebrand gave Dietrich a nod. Good work. The prince rose, allowing the dwarf to stand. The dwarf introduced himself as Albrecht, and though he had to interlace some sniveling and obsequious phrases into his speech to communicate it to these humans, he did let them know he was happy to help. 
And there's no better way to say I'm happy to aid you in your quest to kill those giants, and also please don't kill me, than, of course, a magic sword. I stole it from them, Albrecht grinned. The sword's name was Nagelring. What's magic about it? Dietrich arced the sword through the air. Albrecht said he wasn't sure what this sword's whole deal was, but he heard the giants talking about how the sword is the only thing that can kill them. Like, why do that, he said. Why make the only weapon that can kill you? That's Sauron-level oversight. Albrecht the dwarf felt Nagelring on the back of his neck. Take us to the giants now, dwarf, Dietrich demanded. Hildebrand nodded in approval. Albrecht asked, has Dietrich not been paying attention at all? Of course he was going to do that. That's literally what they've been talking about the entire time. Ugh, humans. Grim and Hild, the giants, celebrated over a shiny piece of armor. Yeah, it's a magical helmet they made. They named it after themselves. They called it Hildegrim? I would have gone with Grimhild. The most important thing here, though, is to take your time. We don't know what it does, and... Oh, okay, just rushing on in there, then, the dwarf said. The three heroes were crouched outside the giant's home, taking turns looking through the crack, where the stone the giants rolled didn't quite meet the edge of the doorway. If you weren't keeping track, caution and, you know, thinking about stuff is a weakness. At least in Hildebrand's school for kids who can't hero good and want to learn how to kill other stuff good, too. Hildebrand's, quote, blood was hot from seeing the giants. He braced himself on the wall and leg-pressed the stone out of the way. He turned to his ward. It's hero time. They still kind of had the jump on the couple, which was impressive, given the yelling and the sword pointing and the challenges. Grim, the giant man, uttered a curse when he saw Nagelring. Darn it, shouldn't have crafted the only weapon that could kill them. Still, there was a difference between holding the weapon and using the weapon, and he was still a giant. He picked up an iron out of the fire and rushed Dietrich. Albrecht the dwarf was disappearing into the rocks. At this point, both the giants and the humans were equally annoyingly lethal, and he didn't need any of that. Hildebrand took on Hild, the giant woman. He thought it was going to be an easy fight, until he was on his back, arms pressing in vain against Hild's dagger handle, as the blade, with the sheer strength of the giant, cut through his chainmail and began to bite into his chest. It started to scrape a rib. It wasn't long before that rib broke. He could only hope that he had done enough, that his pupil would surpass him. Then, a meat cube bounced off his face. Hild slowed when she realized that the meat cube was her husband. A look of pain washed over her face, a look that was matched by the actual physical pain she felt when she, separated by a line no wider than a hair, had the two halves of her body begin to slide slowly apart before she fell to the ground, dead. The sword is magic, Dietrich said, as he yanked the dagger from his teacher's chest. Hildebrand, though, didn't congratulate his pupil. A shadow grew over both of them, as the two pieces of Hild found each other, knit her back together, and she rose, renewed. Ah! Dietrich screamed and sliced down again. And again, Hild fell to the ground. 
Dead. It's over, Dietrich said. No, Dietrich, come on, Hildebrand replied, pointing behind Dietrich again to the giant that was, yes, knitting herself back together. Dietrich sliced her in half again. It's over, Dietrich said. Stop saying that. Just pay attention. She's getting back up. Dietrich turned and sliced her in half. Again. It's don't. Just don't. Just keep her in half. Hildebrand winced as he rose. That's what I'm trying to do. Dietrich yelled as he, once again, cut the giant in half. No, like, keep her in half. Hildebrand yelled. You said that already. I don't know what you mean. Say different stuff. Dietrich yelled back, slicing the giant again. Put your foot in between the parts. Hildebrand barked. Dietrich straightened up. Oh, 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 oh. Keep her apart. He slid his foot in between the two halves of the giant's torso, and she didn't grow back together. She was dead. For real this time. Dietrich roasted the venison on the spit. The past few months, in which he had been welcomed home as a hero, attended the wedding of Hildebrand and Uta, after he let Hildebrand have all the giant's riches, and Dietrich hung out at home learning how to rule, the past few months had been pretty terrible. He was so super bummed to learn that, by killing Hild and Grimm, he hadn't, quote, exterminated the giants from the land. Seeing as this was the 8th century, and Dietrich was really bored and looking for his next hit of adrenaline, the young prince took off to follow rumors of Signat, Hild's brother, who had vowed to avenge the death of his sister. Both of them were out looking for a fight, but neither of them could find each other, which was why Dietrich jumped at the sound of a dwarf. In the road. Dietrich had come around a bit on mythological dwarfs. Before the episode with Hild and Grimm, he had only ever heard stories of them as evil, scheming little creatures. But without Albrecht's help, he would have been dead. He had come around enough to not only not actively torture them for information, but to maybe care a little bit about saving them. Maybe. I mean, this one was being tenderized by a giant, and Dietrich was all about killing those giants, so yeah, he was growing as a person, but. Also, it was something he was going to do anyway. Ow, 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 the dwarf said as the giant hit him against a rock, trying to kill him because dwarves were probably harder to eat if they were kicking and punching all the way down. Then, the dwarf fell from the giant's hand, or more accurately, the giant's hand fell from the giant when Nagelring made about four slices in quick succession. The giant fell to pieces and the dwarf rose. I am Dietrich. I help the feeble and oppressed, even you horrible little creatures, he said. The dwarf said, uh, thanks, I guess. I don't have any gold or magic stuff to give you. All I have is the advice that we should get out of here before Signot comes down from the mountains to see his friend dead. The dwarf felt Nagel ring on his neck. You will take me to the mountain lair of Signot, foul creature. Dude, just ask. The dwarf threw up his hands. You literally saved my life. I'll take you. 
Oh, sorry, Dietrich said, shaking his head and sheathing his sword. He just wanted to ask something of a dwarf, and he kind of went into autopilot there. Old habits. Yeah, the dwarf said. And the two began walking north. Three weeks into their journey toward the frozen peaks, Dietrich saw her. At first, he thought he was dreaming. Not difficult to imagine when the most beautiful woman he had ever seen just materialized in front of him. And she said, Something? Dietrich said he was sorry. She was going to have to go over all that again. He was lost in her eyes. Just like, wow. He didn't get any of what she said, though, so please. The Ice Queen, whose name is the not-at-all-on-the-nose Virginal, said, uh, okay, uh, basically the giant up ahead was way too powerful for him. He couldn't make the trek and defeat it. He needed to turn back, gather reinforcements, and return. So this journey is too perilous for a normal man, Dietrich cocked an eyebrow. Virginal said yes, that was the gist of it. But I am no normal man, Dietrich said, wrapping his cloak around his face. Virginal said that that's not what she was trying to convey here. He was really showing that he did not understand the assignment. I will slay the Signot, Dietrich declared, further showing that he, yeah, was not listening. Who are you talking to? The dwarf said to Dietrich. Dietrich looked ahead of him, to only the blistering, snowy climb. The dwarf didn't see her? The beautiful ice queen? Didn't matter. Let's go. I have a giant to slay. Oh, whoa, it's just like, not a cardio guy, you know? That climb was difficult. I'm thinking that maybe I should have listened to that beautiful ice queen. Dietrich was still trying to catch his breath. Okay, uh, first, no offense, I super believe that you can do this, but, unrelated, I'm gonna put on my invisibility cap now, the dwarf said, and disappeared. Dietrich rolled his eyes. Dwarves. He stood, gripping Nagelring, and steadied himself. Whew, altitude and exertion, he was not used to any of this. Still. Can't look weak in front of the Ice Queen. He lowered his shoulder and ran at the door to the giant's mountain stronghold. It didn't give. It was a door to a stronghold. He ran again. It shuddered this time. He hit it a third time and it cracked a bit on its hinges. Since it was a door for giants and Dietrich was just a larger than average 15-year-old, he managed to slide in one of the cracks. Inside the keep, he saw ice steps that ascended to the peak, and the outline of the giant at the top of them. It was time. He raised Nagelring and charged. And kept charging. He kind of really misjudged the size and amount of stairs. They were for a giant, a giant accustomed to the altitude. Dietrich had to stop for a breather halfway up. Signot, the giant, just waited at the top. He had spotted Dietrich with that yell in the initial ascent, but he had time. Kind of too much of it, actually. He waited there, 
while Dietrich took another break three quarters of the way up. When he finally set foot on the top step, Dietrich was ready. He asked if Signot was prepared to join his kin in H-E-L hell. He took one step and dropped. The darkness took him. You'll see why you probably want to do a little conditioning before fighting giants, like maybe take the stairs every once in a while, but that will be right after this. Dietrich gasped awake in bed. The cold made him ache all over. What happened? Oh, good. You're awake, Dietrich heard behind the stone door. The ground rumbled as Signot approached. I was worried you were dead. Here, get your strength up, he said, placing some soup on the bedside table. Dietrich hungered for its warmth, and also the food. His hands cradled the bowl, and he drank it down, the soup a brief respite from the cold that gnawed at him every moment he was conscious in this place. Thank you, Dietrich breathed. Of course, Signat said. You were on death's door when you attacked me. We have to get you well. Be sure to hydrate. I need to get you a blanket, too. I'm used to this cold, but you're not. Can't be doing you any favors. Dietrich took the blanket. Wow, what was the thread count on this thing? Why was Signot doing this? They were enemies. Signot said they might be enemies, but he could still be honorable with Dietrich, help him to get better. Dietrich nodded. That was decent. He thanked Signot. Signot smile, of course. Besides, how was Signot going to torture Dietrich for weeks if Dietrich was just going to die because he was so weak after the climb? Silly guy. What? Dietrich said. Yeah, you killed my sister and brother-in-law. Don't look at me like I'm the villain. You came after me because you were so crazy about exterminating people groups. I'm sure that's going to age well. I apparently don't have the right to exist by myself on a mountaintop. So yeah, get better so I can kill you, eventually. Signot smiled and left the room, sliding the door bar in place behind him. For the next eight days, Dietrich tried to think of a way out. The windows had enchanted ice bars on them, the door couldn't budge, and the floors and walls were so cold they hurt to the touch, so he stayed in bed, ate his soup, and recovered. Nurse Signot came to check on him every day, and at day nine, he saw that Dietrich had enough color returned in his cheeks, and he fought back enough when Signot tried to feel his forehead, so yeah, he was good. He had recovered enough to be tortured to death. Signot told Dietrich to come with him. He had a whole room for that sort of thing. No point in messing up the guest bedrooms. As they walked down to the dungeon, the ice starting to bite at Dietrich's feet, the giant casually told him that he caught Dietrich's friend the other day. The big guy, the Hildebrand? He was charging up the mountain. Didn't wait for him to get inside, though. Just kind of bopped him on the head outside. Happy accident, too. He was there when Dietrich killed Signot's sister. Did Dietrich want to say goodbye? Hildebrand was tougher, so he just got one of the dungeon cells. The giant gestured to the cell, the... Wait. The empty cell. Signot checked the door. It was locked. It had always been locked. This didn't make sense. He pulled out his keys and opened the cell door. How could Hildebrand have possibly escaped? 
Then, the point of Nagelring burst from Signot's chest. Behind him, Hildebrand and the dwarf took off the invisibility caps. Oh, 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 okay. He was here the whole time. Got it, Signot said, before Hildebrand cut him in half. And he put his foot in between the pieces, so he didn't have to keep doing it over and over and over again. Dietrich ran to Hildebrand and embraced the man he loved like a brother. He totally had the giant, though. He had, like, a plan and all that. Hildebrand was like, yeah, definitely. He knew and believed that. Uh, Also, if they're keeping secrets, when Dietrich told the story later, Hildebrand stormed the keep and killed the giant single-handedly. He didn't rely on, like, the dwarf magic and dwarf tunnels. Dietrich said, yes, absolutely. Also, wait, dwarf tunnels? The mountain keep shuddered. The dwarf beckoned them down the hall. Hey, fun of them to talk about how much they hated dwarves, but this place was coming down. It was only held up by Signot's magic. They had to go. We'll never make it, Dietrich said. Even if they got out of there, the avalanche would catch them on the way down. The dwarf told both of them to turn around. The two Germanic heroes turned, and Dietrich asked what was going on. Hildebrand said that the dwarves didn't trust them enough to see the symbols. Symbols? Hildebrand said that Dietrich would see. Dietrich would said that, hey, while they had a minute, um, he thought that maybe they should stop trying to exterminate people groups, you know, with the dwarves and all that. Oh, totally agree, Hildebrand said. Without the dwarves, they would both be dead. Dietrich nodded and dodged a falling ice chunk. Cool, cool. Uh, think they could get out of here? It's done, the two men heard behind them. They turned to see the hole. Well, not so much a hole, but a doorway, a portal. The ice on the edges was dripping from the heat that came from within. Dietrich stood in the frozen mountain lair of the giants, then popped his head through. He was in a great hall, glowing with torches and hearth fires. He looked back to Hildebrand. Yeah, it, it's weird. It takes a little getting used to, the tutor said. Both men felt a shove and went sprawling down the stairs. Dietrich rose, indignant, but quickly saw the reason for the urgency when the hole through which they had traveled, on this side a simple gate of stone, was packed with jagged ice and snow. The dwarves closed the door behind them. Dietrich rose. A dwarf strode over, and Hildebrand bowed. Dietrich stayed standing. The prince said he bowed to no one but his father. He could extend his arm to appear, though. The dwarf king smirked. He would take that. The dwarves knew how to party. Hildebrand could barely keep up, and Dietrich was asleep at the benches after a few hours. The next morning, or what they thought was morning underground, Hildebrand was shaking Dietrich awake. Hey, the, they, the dwarves, they had a quest. Someone they thought Dietrich knew? Queen Virginal? Dietrich's head shut up when he heard the name. I love her! The room looked at him. Okay. She had been kidnapped. Dietrich rose. What? He demanded to know everything. The dwarf said, yeah, they were getting to that. He interrupted them. Take it away, Bebung. Bebung rose and climbed atop the table, striding. He was Bebung, the, quote, 
unconquerable protector of Queen Virginal. She had been taken by the wizard Ortgis. And, uh, please, whole law questions for the end. Dietrich didn't. He said, Bibung said he was the unconquerable protector of Queen Virginal. Bibung nodded. That was correct. Dietrich said, but wasn't she kidnapped? Bibung nodded again. Also, yes. Dietrich said, okay, so how was he the unconquerable protector? Did that mean something different in Dwarvish? The whole table erupted into a whoa, whoa, whoa. Hildebrand rose, sorry, sorry, it's, he, it's an honest mistake. Hildebrand whispered that they don't, there's no Dwarvish, we all speak Old German. You've been talking to them the entire time, so, you know, just leave the Dwarvish stuff, that's not a thing. And the protector thing, the dwarves had this exact conversation while Dietrich was sleeping. Just, can we just move on? He is trying to press Virginal into marriage, Bibung said. Every few days, he kills one of her snow maidens, the Ice Queen's servants, until she gives in. She's strong, but she's not heartless. She won't last much longer, if only for the sake of her friends. Dietrich nodded. He would rescue her. How fast could they get him there? The answer, it seemed, was pretty fast. I mean, they had magical dwarf tunnels. Soon, Dietrich and Hildebrand stood on the edge of a mountain. Ortgis's castle loomed in the distance. The castle Jarus punt. Yeah, you gotta watch out because when we close this door, it's all gonna go back to normal, Bibung said. They couldn't risk the wizard finding the tunnels. We'll be fine, dwarf. Close the door, Dietrich said. And then he was quickly not fine when the dwarf closed the door. What had been a lip the pair was perched on was now a wall of rock and ice. Dietrich started sliding. He could barely slow. He tried to do that thing where he bit into the ice with Nagelring, but he quickly lost his sword. He was in a hardly controlled slide, and he was about to have company. Two travelers on the road, a man and a woman. The woman ran out of his way, but he hit the man head on. There was a crunch as the man broke Dietrich's fall, and Dietrich broke the man. Dietrich rose from the bloody tangle of limbs and bones and turned to the woman. He was so sorry. He... Wait, why was she thanking him? She, as it turned out, was one of the snow maidens, the next one to be sacrificed for her mistress's obedience. She had made a break for it, though. He was about to catch her. Dietrich looked over. Wait, that... Was Orcus the wizard? Jambus didn't last long after that. If you're wondering who Jambus was, well, he was Orcus's son, but really it doesn't matter. He didn't so much care about marrying the Ice Queen, only securing the jewel in her crown that could control the elements. The whole fight was pretty metal, to be honest. He conjured monsters in Draugr, and Hildebrand and Dietrich fought their way to the castle, Jerispunt, to find that Bibung had knifed Jambus when the wizard was too distracted conjuring monsters to hear the invisible dwarf sneaking up behind him. Dietrich confessed his undying love for Queen Virginal, and she agreed. She would leave her kingdom of ice and snow, relinquish her power, and come down with him to the green valleys to be his queen. They would be wed. There is a very obvious metaphor here about marriage in the medieval world, but you don't need me to spell it out for you. 
When Dietrich came down from the mountain, he could boast that he killed two giants, two wizards, made peace with the dwarves, and married the Ice Queen. Not bad for a 16-year-old. Over the next few years, Dietrich's legend recruited the greatest in Europe and beyond to his service. Knights who hungered for justice so much that they executed 12 thieves on the road without trial. Dragon slayers who surprised the animals in their homes. Warriors who trampled widowed giants with horses. Truly the greatest of their age. But none, none could compare to the glory of the Rose Garden. One of Dietrich's knights, Wiedrich Wielenson, reclined at the table, flagon of mead in hand. He knew of no one in this land or any other that could match Dietrich of Bern for greatness of deed. Hear, hear, the table erupted. Well, all but one. Hildebrand? Dietrich noted that his former tutor didn't loudly sing his praises. Hildebrand told Dietrich not to worry about it, just for real. Drink your mead. You are the best, asterisk. You, wait, did you literally say asterisk? Hildebrand, what's going on? Hildebrand said, okay. He didn't want to say this because he knew how Dietrich got, but there was someone. A dwarf. The table erupted in laughter. Hildebrand swallowed hard. In the years since their return, he had spent time in the dwarven kingdoms. He now had a respect for the dwarves a respect that a more honest man would call fear. Hildebrand also laughed out loud. Oh, man. Funny that they were all laughing about that joke we heard earlier and not at any dwarves that may or may not be in this room. Invisible. He turned to Dietrich. Look, the guy's name was Loren. He was a dwarf king not far from Bern. Hildebrand didn't want to tell Dietrich because he didn't want Dietrich to die. Dietrich laughed die? He was a friend of the dwarves. They loved him. Hildebrand winced. It's, they're not a homogenous group. There are a lot of different dwarf cultures. You are just friends with some kingdoms of the north, but you wouldn't say you're a friend to all humans, just some. It's like that with the dwarves. But Lorin, Dietrich wanted to get things back on track. Hildebrand explained, the dwarf king Lorin had a rose garden. A beautiful one. It was guarded by nothing more than a silken thread. A silken thread and a promise. If the thread was broken and the garden disturbed, the person or people who did so would have to pay with their left hand and right foot. Hildebrand didn't doubt King Loren's ability to follow through on that promise. Weedrick, one of the knights, shook his head. <sighs> Come on, if anyone could take a dwarf, their prince could. Dietrich said Hildebrand should know by now. Don't put a challenge out there if he didn't want Dietrich to go do it. Hildebrand said he really didn't want to say this in the first place. He wasn't putting out a challenge. I will do it. I will cut the thread, Dietrich declared. A cheer went up in the hall. Hildebrand sat back in anxiety. We'll see this beautiful rose garden get destroyed, but that will, once again, be right after this. These roses are just beautiful. 
Dietrich said. Atop his horse, in the middle of the rose garden, he trampled over to get a smell from a big one. I can't believe this was only seven miles from home. Dietrich took a big sniff. So nice. Hildebrand winced again on the edge of the forest. Soon, a shining light started glowing from the forest on the opposite side. So bright that men had to shield their eyes. Weedrick, one of the knights, smiled. It is truly St. Michael, God's pure angel from heaven. Hildebrand drew his sword and made sure he was well outside the boundary of the silken thread, the one that it used to form. Okay, why? Why would it be the Archangel Michael? It wasn't, no surprise there, it was the Dwarf King, Loren. He rode out of the forest, flanked by dwarves and, apparently, foxes in armor, which, okay. He sat in his own armor, bejeweled and hardened by dragon blood, and pointed his also dragon blood hardened sword at Dietrich, demanding to know who had trampled his rose garden. You know what? Didn't matter. He demanded compensation, a left hand and a right foot from the big guy on the horse. Dietrich swallowed hard, looking at the dwarven warriors. Look, he was sorry. He realized now that this had been a huge mistake. He will put this right. Gold? Silver? Gemstones? All this means nothing to me, Lorenz said. Left hand, right foot. Right now. How dare you make demands of Dietrich of Bern, Weedrick said, riding forward. One hit from the dwarf King Lorenz's sword, and Weedrick was on the ground, weeping. He cowered, begging Loren not to hurt him. Dietrich watched as Loren bound Weedrick's hands and feet and hung him from a branch of a nearby tree. Dietrich of Bern, King Lorenz said. I've heard a lot about you in the dwarven kingdoms, and I'm grateful that you've come to mine. You will give me my compensation. Left hand, right foot. Dietrich looked back to Hildebrand. His old tutor shook his head. Hildebrand couldn't help him. He had warned Dietrich. These were the consequences of the proud prince's actions. Dietrich looked back to the dwarven king. Do you want to tie me up and take my hand? Before you do so, you'll look behind yourself three times. The, the dwarf... Uh, what? It means I, I'll break your neck. So your head will turn around, like all the way around? Dietrich grinned. Yeah, let that one sink in. Hildebrand facepalmed. Yes, the best threats are the ones that require explanation. Loren readied his sword. The dwarves drew a circle on the ground, with their weapons in the ruined rose garden. The dwarf king unhorsed Dietrich, sending the prince sprawling to the ground with Nagelring in hand. The dwarf was on the prince, his dragon-blood-hardened sword slicing clean through Dietrich's shield. The prince scrambled to his feet and sliced down on King Loren's head, a slice that killed giants. But the helmet simply rang out, and the sword went no further. Worse, for Dietrich, the helmet cracked. The dwarf threw it off in fury. And Dietrich, a little scared that one hit hadn't killed his adversary like every other fight he'd been in, backed up. But then, Lorin vanished. Like most dwarves, at least in the story, he had an invisibility cap. Dietrich held up his sword, but cried out. The dragon blood sword had found a spot in between Dietrich's mail and sliced him. Blood poured out, 
Dietrich cried and dropped. His hand came away wet when he felt his side. Over the next few minutes, he felt his armor fall away. At first, he tried to fight the dwarf. He couldn't block what he couldn't see, though, and the dwarf came in and, each time, sliced Dietrich. Not enough to kill him, just enough to hurt. A lot. After 30 wounds, Dietrich was on his knees. Hildebrand broke through. He had warned Dietrich about this. Not to disturb the Rose Garden. Dietrich said that he was dying. Was there something else Hildebrand wanted to say to him before he went to Valhalla other than, I told you so? Hildebrand said, yes. He bent down and whispered, Mind the roses. He backed out of the circle. Dietrich gasped and looked. The steps were subtle. Light, but they were there. The rose garden moved almost imperceptibly, but Dietrich saw the trampled stems compress slightly. He waited, acted like he was too injured to move, and when the steps got close, shot his hand out. He caught the dwarf in the neck, and his cap lunged forward, revealing him. The belt! Hildebrand yelled, get the belt! Dietrich threw the dwarf to the ground and sliced the belt with Nagelring. The dwarf stopped fighting. Dietrich had won. The belt gave him the strength of 12 men, Hildebrand said. The dwarf said bravo. He was Dietrich's prisoner. It was now his turn to offer gold and silver for his life. Dietrich struggled to his feet, blood still pouring from him. No, no one who did something like this to him could be allowed to live. King Lorenz said he thought Dietrich might respond that way. He had something else that might be more valuable to Dietrich and his men. The dwarf King Lorenz's eyes turned to another one of Dietrich's men. The dwarf smiled and said, or should I say someone else? Give me back my sister, Dietlieb, one of Dietrich's knights and friends, cried out. Dietrich said, wait, wait. What? Apparently, Dietlieb's father was a king, and he had invited all the eligible princes and nobles and royalty in the area to go riding with him on a mayday ride to help determine who would marry his daughter. Everyone, except the dwarf king, Lorin. The dwarf took issue with this, so, while all the knights in the realm were out of the city, he put on his invisible hat and kidnapped the princess. I'll cut you to pieces unless you tell me where she is. Dietrich said. The dwarf said, no, that's his only play here, but he admitted that he was beat. He would swear fealty to the prince and the city of Bern and give back the sister in exchange for his life. Done, Hildebrand said, extending his hand for the dwarf to rise. Dietrich said, no, hold up. He was the leader here. The dwarf didn't get off that easily. Oh, you're going to make a princess disappear forever in anger like a thousand invisible dwarves after killing their king? The prince said, well, when Hildebrand put it that way. Yeah, the table is made of pure crystal. The feet, real elephant bones, the dwarf King Lorenz said a few days later. 
when they all sat around his table for a feast to celebrate his newfound subjugation. Oh, gross, Dietrich said, drinking deep of the ale. Dietlieb had demanded to see his sister, who was being kept in the treasure room. I mean, maybe they were just the nicest rooms because they were full of treasure and the story isn't being really insensitive. Regardless, Dietlieb was off with his sister when he heard the thuds. The thuds of heads hitting tables. The dwarves had drugged the humans. You should have never trampled my rose garden, showed me that disrespect. Dietlieb watched as Prince Dietrich lifted a heavy hand, trying to draw Nagelring. I'll wait until you're awake. Then I'll take my price from you and all your men. You need to break the chain, Dietrich heard when he awoke. He looked around him. He and his men were chained together. Dietlieb, with the help of his sister, had opened the dungeon door. You need to break the chain, Hildebrand said again to his prince. Dietrich said how? How could he do that? It was forged by dwarves. He was still recovering from nearly dying a few days ago. He couldn't do it. Yeah, that's about what I thought. Hildebrand sat back. Dietrich said, what's that supposed to mean? Hildebrand shrugged. You know, he was a Volsung. He had been brought in to teach a hero kid. He only wished his mistake didn't lead to his own death. I'm a hero kid. Well, I was a hero kid, Dietrich said. No, you're a failure. You haven't done anything of note. I've been propping you up your whole life but you finally fell into a situation not even I can get you out of, so congrats. You finally killed an actual hero, me. But it wasn't through your own bravery, but incompetence, which shouldn't come as a surprise. That's only how you've ever killed anything. Hey, Dietrich yelled, and noticed the spark. Wait, what was that? Hildebrand smiled. After Dietrich had melted the chain with his lip fire, the men stood. Dietrich said it was weird no one ever told him about that. Like, it was mentioned in the first paragraph of the story and then never brought up again. Dietrich glanced around the corner. The coast was... clear? Wait. The place was deserted. Oh, yeah, my sister gave me this, Dietlieb said, and put the ring on Dietrich. As soon as the ring was on his finger, he could see the fortress wasn't abandoned. It was packed. The ring let him see the dwarves when they were wearing their caps. Oh, and I grabbed this, Dietlieb said, and placed Nagelring in Dietrich's hands. Just then, Dietrich and King Loren locked eyes, Dietrich spotting the king at the edge of the hall. Dietrich said he wouldn't be running. He had something to finish. He drew Nagelring, yelled out his challenge, and charged down the beautifully ornate halls of the dwarf fortress. And I slew him, Dietrich said, over dinner, months later. Yes, without his belt or armor or cap, he was an even match. He fell, but not before he breathed his last. He said that the roses, which used to glow at night, would glow no more during the day or in the darkness. He forgot twilight, though. And if you go, you can still see the roses glowing, those that remain, glowing in remembrance of the might of the Dwarf King, 
Lorraine. He paused for a sip, and then the table erupted in claps. Well, all but one person clapped. I know, I know, Hildebrand said to no one in particular. I will tell him, just don't go crazy, okay? We've been through all that. Hildebrand <clears throat> cleared his throat. Dietrich? Dietrich said, yes. Did his tutor have something to say? How did the story really end, Dietrich? Dietrich chuckled in front of his guests. That's how the story ended. Hildebrand just stared. That's how the story ended for him. You know, that's how he liked to think of the story ending. Do you want to go back to fighting off dwarf assassins for weeks, or do you want to tell the story? Hildebrand said. Dietrich grumbled. Fine. Okay, okay, I yield. King Loren had said, at the prospect of being cut in half by Nagelring, for real this time. With Loren as his prisoner, Dietrich and his men escaped without further incident, and brought Loren back to Bern, where, yeah, they were super degrading, making him dance and stuff for the court. Like, treating dwarves how they're usually treated in Germanic folklore. After so many attempts on Dietrich's life from Loren's dwarves, he and Hildebrand agreed to let the king go, if he swore fealty to Dietrich and Bern. When they went to his cell, however, they found him in the middle of an escape attempt. And he wasn't alone. The princess was helping him. I love him, she said. Dietrich was confused, but the dwarf had kidnapped her, right? She shook her head. No. They ran away together when her father was trying to marry her off to somebody and refused to consider Lauren. She was his queen, and she wouldn't continue to see him treated so shamefully. So, the princess went to go live with the dwarves, and we're all good now, Dietrich said. We live in peace, and we realize that we're stronger together, working in collaboration as allies, than we ever were as petty enemies, Dietrich said. He turned to the invisible dwarves next to Hildebrand. There. Happy? Hildebrand smiled and nodded. Yes. They're happy. The story felt like an adventure story. It's also kind of like a D&D campaign. It was kind of all over the place at times, but... It was really fun. I do like how the characters grew to slowly respect the dwarves. After Arthurian lore, and, well, most of European and Scandinavian lore in general, with dwarves being, usually at best, malicious tricksters, and, at worst, Thor punting them in the fire, it's nice to see a story treat dwarves with respect and admiration. Also, there are two very different endings to the King Loren story. That's why we have Diedrich telling the straightforward one, and then the actual one, which is my favorite, where the princess wasn't kidnapped, but actually loved the Dwarf King, and there was a happy ending. There are more Dietrich stories, so let me know if you're interested in that. Next week, there are two famous, only slightly horrifying stories from the master of brutal children's tales, Hans Christian Andersen. If you're looking for something else to listen to, there's a new episode of Scoundrel out this week, our podcast with Cast Media, where we tell the story of the gentleman outlaw, Charles Bowles, Black Bart, 
who, yes, will rob stagecoaches, but not without a please, thank you, and maybe a poem. Check it out by following the link in the show notes or by searching for Scoundrel, History's Forgotten Villains, wherever you get your podcasts. The creatures this week are the Samodivi from Bulgaria. If you're a deer hunter, you know, it's not my thing, but I do need to warn you. If you want to be able to hunt deer with impunity, at least in Bulgaria, you're going to want to be taking dance lessons and maybe like start going out at night because you're going to want to be able to dance until dawn. Your life might just depend on it. The Semidivi are like wood nymphs that ride deer and like anyone's car, they're protective. If you do anything to harm a deer, well, they'll harm you. They can fly, they have control over the elements, and like I said, ride a deer, controlling it with a bridle of live snakes. If it's hunting you, well, it's a flying superwoman with control over the weather. It's not much of a hunt. If you chance upon a bunch of them dancing, though, you're going to want to join in. And by want to, I mean you'll have absolutely no control over yourself. You'll start dancing and be unable to stop until you stop from exhaustion. If you can make it all night, they'll let you go. If not, well, apparently they take a page out of the hunter's books and mount human hunter heads on the walls of their caves. It's also said that they can make people fall in love with them and that the people will die of exhaustion for different reasons. Apparently, if you can get one to accidentally prick herself on a thorn, she'll evaporate. Not remotely sure how that works, but it's worth a try. Uh, so yeah, if you find yourself enamored by a magical woman with a snake deer ride, be sure to bring her roses. And also be sure you've been hitting the club regularly so you can dance all night long. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. The theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>